Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Hello there, skin snacks. I want to say welcome to episode 83. Today I'm doing a part five of Survivor Stories, but before we get started, I want you to go check out my phone ringing because I didn't put it on silent. It is on silent. My watch is not on silent, dirty bitch. Okay, I want you to go check out ageofradio.org slash colormedead slash there you can listen to our show, which if you're already listening, you know how to find it. But you can do it there too. If, if anything ever goes wrong with one of your apps, you can go to this website and you can listen to our show. You can also donate to our Patreon and you can go to our sponsors and shop them. We have Loot Crate, Loot Wear, it, and Blue Apron. Now... For those of you who may not have listened last week or didn't hear what was going on, uh, we have, with our network that we're assigned with, which is Age of Radio, we have a group with them, and it is called Addicted to Podcasting by Age of Radio. Um, We're having a contest over there right at the moment, so you could win a pair of Studio Sweden headphones. If you go over there, like the group, and comment with your favorite podcast. You're going to be entered in a drawing for some Studio Sweden headphones. And once we get to 500 people, 500 persons in our group, we will do the drawing. So head on over there, like it. What we're going to do over there, it's basically going to be just a big place for people who listen to podcasts, people who produce podcasts, um, to all interact together so we can get new podcast recommendations. Um, There's Jeremy, who is the CEO of the company. You've got Adam and Chuck from Learning to Curse. Me. (laughs) Hi. And Jeremy's wife, Danielle, who posts throughout the week on what we have listened to the previous week so we can give you our recommendations on what we listen to and other people who have podcasts can post on there with their podcasts or if you're looking to start a podcast if you want to join our network you can go um, give us a shout let us know we can help you get started so it's going to be a super cool place to be. We're also starting a fun interactive game, which is immature as fuck. So if you enjoy Chuck and I being immature, let's throw Adam into the mix and then a little Jeremy too. And you get all the immaturity and all the interaction. It's going to be on Tuesdays. It's called a Textisode. And <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's something that we came up with while we are in a random group text that was just completely ridiculous as we tend to be. If you couldn't tell by the Chuck Sode 82.5, we are random as fuck. So come over there and join us. I want to give a big shout out to our Patreons. We've got 
our examinators, who are Sharon Hoffman and Samantha Vaughn. You guys are badass motherfuckers. Last week, I think, is when it was. I promised you that we were going to be doing a an episode with Adam and Chuck from Learning to Curse. Well, Adam got sick. And he was hacking his mother-loving brains out, so we decided to postpone a little bit. So we still have Adam and Chuck coming on in the next couple of weeks. It just didn't get to happen this week. And since I've been having all the technical difficulties under the motherfucking sun, I decided to just do this episode solo. So if you don't like my voice, I am very sorry. I will try to change it up here and there. Um, Because the holidays are coming up or I guess we're already in the holidays because we already had fuck Thanksgiving but type around this time of year things tend to get a little bit more stressful and things really can get rough for a lot of people and so I wanted to do a survivor series to remind all of you who may not think you're strong enough to leave that you are or um give strength to those people who are currently going through it or any way that any way that I can help help anybody get through and through any of this there's too many going through this at all times and I want to support everybody that everybody that we can that's going through it and I want to start off by saying we have a group called color me still here And it is ran by a few of our listeners and members. And um, it's where domestic domestic violence or mental abuse or any kind of survivor can go in and share your story. Um, Or you don't have to share your story. You can go in and um, get support from other members, other people who are going through the same thing. There's also another page called From the Fire, Recovery from Domestic Abuse and Surviving Mental Illness. So check out either one of those groups or both. They're both really good for support um, because I know that it's easy to feel alone out there. It's, It's easy to think that you don't have anybody there for you, that nobody understands what you're going through or... You might feel like you're alone and you're going through this by yourself, but there's plenty of us that have been through it before and plenty of people that you can reach out to and just share your story. And or you, like I said, you don't have to share your story, but share your feelings, maybe um, get support, get friends, get get something in these groups. It helps out a lot. I also want to add that the number for the domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. If you feel like you need to reach out for help, please call that number and get the help that you need. Um, Before I get started on the Survivor Series, though, uh, or the Survivor Stories, I want to talk about someone who didn't make it, who didn't end up being a survivor of domestic abuse. We've talked about her many times before. Um, her name is Jody Myers. She's the one from from Featherymost Val, and because she, it was well, it was episode thirty three called Featherymost Val, and we've had an update since then. But I got another update that I wanted to share with you guys from a family member, 
and she gave me permission to read it all out on the show. And I, this is heartbreaking. It was, it was over the holidays when it happened back in what, 1995, 94 is when it happened. Um, I'm just going to read the email word for word so that I don't mess it up because it's just, it's just sad. Just, this is what domestic violence can lead to. And it's heartbreaking. And here's what the email says. Well, another Thanksgiving has passed without Jody. I try not to think about the horrifying Thanksgiving we had 24 years ago, but after visiting with her mom and her family members Thanksgiving night and reading his prison profile to try to reach out to the outside world reopened a lot of wounds. I read Mike's blog. Side note is Mike from Criminology who sent us this case. Um, I listened to Color Me Dead. I watched the movie Nightmare Wedding. That movie was in no way, shape, or form portrayed the life of Jody. Yes, there was a knife and a wedding dress, but the two have nothing to do with the other. I don't have social media, so I am reaching out via email. Forrest wasn't just some random guy she met one night. He was close to the family. His mother was at Jody's baby shower. By close, I mean he did work around family members' houses. A handyman. He is my husband's cousin on my mom's side, and Jody is a cousin from his dad's side. Jody and Forrest were not cousins. Jody was going to be my maid of honor on 624 of 95, but was taken from us seven months prior to that. I was marrying her cousin. Jody and I became very close when I was dating her cousin. She was indeed the life of the party, and I chose her to be my maid of honor because I know she would get me on the dance floor every chance she got. She has an infectious smile. She is beautiful. I say it like she is still with us because she is in spirit. There is a love story inside this tragic, horrific tragedy. Her high school boyfriend, who she broke up with shortly before dating Forrest, those two were inseparable. When they were together... The love they had for each other could have could be seen when they entered a room. I think she was young and needed a break, and maybe she felt she needed to see what else was out there. I can't speak for her, but I can only assume. He never married. He does have a child. I think he will always love Jody and will never feel her shoes. I think there were plans of them getting back together until Forrest squashed them when Forrest called him with the horrific details of details Forrest did to her and the message he left on her mom's answering machine. He, Jody X, Jody's ex, not Forrest, called my husband. They are best friends and he was our best man with the hor- horrific details. I vomited my Thanksgiving dinner. We went and told her mom we needed her keys. When we told her what happened, we wanted to get to the We wanted to get to her house first and screen her messages before she could listen to it. Thank goodness we did. A couple of messages were beep, 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 beep. We were trying to page her repeatedly that day. That's when pagers were all the rage. I had a bag phone, and I tried to page from that as well. So the messages with all the beeps, he knew the family was trying to desperately reach her that day. Then the horrific message about the wedding dress and the finger... We gave to the police as evidence, his voice saying exactly what his plans were. No doubt she died a horrific death, which we wouldn't find out until the day of court. 
At first, the family was made to believe that she didn't suffer. The prosecutor wanted the shock factor the day of court, and they got it. There wasn't just a necktie and a steak knife. She was beaten, 90% of her body. She had missing fingernails as well. Her acrylic nails were very long. Don't know if it was defense, if it was a defense wound or if he took them off. The prosecutor didn't want this to go to trial because of fear of portraying Jody differently in the media. She was a sweet girl, loved animals, very generous, and before him had a long-term relationship. They wanted to spare us from seeing the pictures. Well, the picture they painted in court will forever be embedded in my head. Her casket was closed. I am glad for that because I will always remember her for the way she was. Beautiful. The casket was open for any family member who wished to see her before the funeral. I did not and was urged against it. Forrest's mother, however, did see her open casket and saw what he did to her. She was upset with the family. I'm not upset she saw what her precious son did to her. Your son is a monster. He got 20 years for her life, five years for terroristic threats, and five years for stealing from a convenience store, which was the Wawa. 20 years for her life. Really? That's it. The prosecutor said, what a deal. Deal for who? You got a quick conviction and that's what... That's what he wanted, another mark for his record. Well, that's why the family was so upset and shocked, and the word scum-sucking came from her aunt's mouth. Now I, re- now I read that he has found God. I don't believe that for a minute. You are not a good guy. The restraining order from his ex-wife as well, I remember it. She was severely beaten and landed in a hospital one Thanksgiving day as well. Don't hold me... Th- Don't hold me to that literally as I'm not sure of exact details. That's just what the family warned her her about him and wanted her to stay from him. There's history there. Jody thought she could change him. Well, maybe so, but she ended up hurt in the end. What is with Forrest and Thanksgiving? Some shrink should look into that. This was supposed to be short, but I'm reliving a lot of this again, and I can't stop thinking about it. A nightmare that never ends and will never go away. Forrest has children and grandchildren. Jody never married, no children, will never have grandchildren, never saw her sister graduate college, never saw her brother get married and see his four handsome sons. Yes, Jody's life has ended, but her legacy goes on. We miss you and love you very much, Jody, forever in our hearts. See, that's the the other side. That's the the side where she didn't survive. Um, we had actually got a message from who I believe is her um, her ex boyfriend that that they're talking about in this email, and he was he had agreed to talk to us, and we never. We never did follow up with him, so I kind of want to follow up with him and and get an an interview with him because I wasn't sure at the time of the whole story. I didn't know what else was going to go with it. Um, we had covered the story, but like we said in episode thirty three, like we couldn't find a whole lot of information. And now, since other people have been listening to it, her family has reached out and talked to us about it a lot and let us know 
more of what's going on. Like just with this email, I learned more that I didn't know before. I didn't know that 90% of her body was beaten or that she had a closed casket. And if I did, I forgot that part, but I didn't think I knew about her being beaten. (sighs) With that, I'm going to lead into the next story. Um, I'm going to call the person from our next story, Darcy. This is not her real name, but it's from my favorite movie. And so that's where I'm going to go with it. That was the name that popped into my head, and that's what we're using. It has nothing to do with anything. And I'm going to read it word for word as well, because I also don't want to screw this up, because I tend to screw shit up when I try to tell the story by myself. She says... Okay, so this is an active case, so I'm going to change the names as I go. There's also some OPSEC, which is operational security, involved, so I'll be obscuring where I was. I deployed early 2017 to the Pacific region. It was a beautiful area, but my time there was not fun. You see, the crew I deployed with was not fun. As a medic, I am the only medic on the vessel, so I don't really have anyone to talk to. Everyone else has counterparts, engineers and deck side and even the cooks, but I had no one. I tried to be personable and talk to people, but I was soon being picked on by everyone. I was told by the head of the vessel every day that I was a useless soldier and ev- an even worse medic and shouldn't be in the army, let alone on a vessel. Keep that mental state in mind because it's about to get fucking bad. We were in port one day, one of the few times that we were in port. Now we weren't allowed to drink while deployed, but does that but does that ever really stop anyone? I was in my room relaxing when I got a text from one of the engineers. We'll call him Bob. Bob had gotten hurt and needed my help. I told him to meet me in the crew's mess, which is the dining area essentially, where I knew other people would be. He responded with, Doc, I'm drunk. I don't want anyone else to see me. Can you come to my room? I shouldn't have, but I agreed to. So I went to his room and inspected his wound. It was nothing more than a long cut, superficial at best, but he wanted it wrapped, or so I thought. So I grabbed my supplies and treated him quickly as I was uncomfortable. He was laying in his bed in nothing but boxers while I treated him. After I wrapped his wound, he wanted to talk. He proceeded to talk to me for the next two hours about how I was treated, how to change it, etc. It was getting late at night, so I was tired. He could tell, but thought I was annoyed at the subject matter, so he called me out on it. I told him I was tired, and I just wanted to go to sleep, and he said, Okay, give me a hug. Whatever gets me out of the room, right? So, I gave him a quick hug. He had one arm wrapped around my waist and the other, so his hand was in my hair. He told me my hair smelled good, then grabbed my butt. I pushed him away and said no. As I turned to leave, he grabbed my arm and pulled me closer, grabbing my vagina. I shoved him back and ran to my room. I got a text from him saying that his wrapping was falling off and that he needed to redress it, that I needed to redress it. I told him I'd do it in the crew's mess or he would deal with it. I wrapped it down and dirty, not caring. In my room, I texted my squad leader, told him what happened, and asked what I should do. He told me to report it and to tell him who had done it. I refused the name but agreed to talk to the mate, who was directly underneath the vessel master. The mate was drunk when I went to her room. 
I told her what happened and said, while I did have the option of reporting it, it was quite a drive to the nearest military post, and it would leave the vessel short-handed, and that it would probably be best just to handle handle this matter in-house. Against my better judgment, I agreed. The next day, a group of us went to the aquarium. While there, I got a text from Bob. I'm sorry for being such a dick last night. That's what the text message said. When we got back to the vessel, the mate, Bob, and I all went to the bridge to talk. I told him that if he wanted treatment from me, it would be with the mate there and no other way. He told me he was sorry and that he had called his wife and told her everything and that wasn't who he was. The mate told him that what he had done was assault and that he was lucky that I was being nice. She then told us both that it was done and over with and that she didn't want to hear about it from either one of us again. In the army, if you report something like this to your chain of command, they have to immediately report it. She chose not she chose not only to not report it, but strong arm a survivor into not reporting it. She was asked to retire early. My deployment lasted another four months, in close quarter with him. When I finally got back stateside, I held my secret close. I told no one, and no one could quite figure out what was wrong. But I had given my word that I wouldn't report it, and my parents had raised me that when you give your word, you keep it. So I kept it. My unit was constantly doing missions, and when I finally realized a little bit later that I would have to sail with him again, I broke. I spoke to the chaplain, who encouraged me to speak to the sexual assault response coordinator. So, finally, four months after my assault, I talked to a representative. Immediately, an investigation began. I was put into therapy therapy and placed on medication. The case is still active, and I'm basically just waiting to see what happens. Or what will happen. The investigators found enough evidence to prove he had done it. But recently, I found out that Bob's command did not want court mar- want to court-martial him. They wanted to give him an Article 15, which is basically loss of rank and pay, and a separation from the Army, despite a victim impact statement that said I wanted to go to court. I wanted to go to court-martial. A court-martial is the only way for him to be dishonorably discharged. Because it is a non-penetrative sex crime, He will most likely not be registered on the sexual offender list, so basically he will be getting a slap on the wrist. I did call my parents and tell them the night before I spoke to the chaplain. Knowing my father's overprotectiveness, I initially asked my mom to step away from my daddy so he couldn't hear. I confessed everything, and I asked her what she thought I should do. So she told me she didn't know because she didn't know the military system as well as daddy did. As he was in Navy for eight years. So she stood by daddy while I told him. I asked what I should do and he responded with, I think I should fly up there and beat his ass. As most dads would say, I'm pretty sure my dad would say the same thing too. My family has been nothing but supportive. But even with all that support, I had a mental break and ended up in the psych ward for suicidal ideations earlier earlier this year. I was still in the same post, waiting orders that were up in the air. Terrified that I would run to him again, the post was incredibly small and I had to and I had run into him before I reported. My anxiety was at an all-time high. 
and I wasn't sleeping. The mental health clinic on the post was no help either. My med doctor laughing at me when, when I, for the 10th time, requested sleeping and anxiety meds rather than just the antidepressant that I was on. My therapist told me that the recommended therapy I had been told to seek at the psych ward wouldn't do anything for me. I, luckily, am now at a new post. When I met with my med doctor for the first time, she immediately put me on sleep med and was more than willing to put me on an anxiety med, but wanted to see how my anxiety did when I actually got some sleep. My therapist gave me a list of PTSD treatments that we could do, including the one that was recommended for me, and we are currently working through that. As for the current waiting game, it feels like nothing will happen besides he gets out, which leaves, me, which leaves him free to assault or possibly rape another woman. I wish I knew how to stop that, but I don't, so I wait. And that was the end of the story that she had sent in, and she sent it in a few months ago. Um, I do have a little bit of an update on that. Uh, since this story was sent in, Bob was now discharged from the army, honorable discharge, but lost all of his benefits. Darcy has been in the military sexual assault psych, psych unit again for a suicide watch because of this for five weeks. Well, it started off with suicide watch, and then she went. And then she's been in intense therapy while in there, where she had to discuss the incident time and time again. While she was in there, she got a text saying that Bob was no longer in the army and her case was closed. Her case was closed. So she's in this military sexual assault psych unit, which is a specialty unit because this happens so much in the military, which is fucked up. Come on. And it's more intense than any civilian sexual assault unit or, you know, I don't know words. I'm using all the wrong words, but you, you, you get what I'm saying. It's just way more intense because this happens so often. Um, When I talked to her the first time and told her that I was going to use her story, she started to second guess and she said that it was nothing. She said, I don't know why. I I feel like I don't want to waste your time with my story. I feel like it's nothing. And here's what I have to say to you, Darcy. Your story is something. He, he violated you. He, he did things to you that were not okay. Um, you survived and you're going through all this therapy, therapy to cons- Jesus Christ. You're going through all of this therapy to continue surviving instead of falling victim to him. So you're kicking ass, girlfriend. Good job. I love you. And I'm going to move into our next story since I don't have any friends and co-hosts to chit-chat with and be bullshit with, but that's okay. <laughs> we, can, we can do this. The next story is from someone I'm going to just call L, like 11 L from... Stranger Things, because I fucking love that show, and I love L, and I thought it was an amazing word. Okay? <laughs> I was 19, and I just got out of a relationship with one of, with someone I truly love, and I am with that man now. 
I was in college and he had graduated and we were both told lies and parted ways. That's where my story really begins. After telling me many times that he wanted to be with me, I just said okay because I was lonely and not speaking to my parents at the time. And this is, this, yeah, this is the, the dude the story is about, not the one that she was absolutely in love with. I said okay because I was lonely and not speaking to my parents. I felt like I needed love. Little did I know at the time, it wasn't love. He told me his ex-girlfriend cheated on him and that he caught her and her ex in bed together when he came home from work early, which three years later, she found out that it was a lie and he beat her until she left him. Everything was okay for a few months and then I graduated and moved in with a friend that I loved like a brother. He called me in tears one day, still in college, saying he was kicked out for smoking weed. His father wouldn't let him come back, so I paid my friend to drive the two hours to get him. Things were okay until we moved to Florida with his family and I found out I was pregnant. I took several tests and I wasn't upset. I wanted to have a family with him as I loved him and I thought that that's what he wanted too because that's what he told me. He then told me, I don't want a baby. I hate kids. You need to get an abortion. He made the appointment for me and told me that he would pay for it. I didn't want it. I went to the appointment and saw the baby on the screen. She asked me if I really wanted to do this and I said, okay. He had told me that morning that he would sign his rights away and that I would be a single mother in a state I didn't know with no help for a baby that he hated. I didn't want my child to grow up knowing their father wanted nothing to do with them. It broke my heart, and it still does to this day, that I listened to him. I'm so sorry to that little angel. I should have known when he was an asshole. I should have known then he was an asshole, and I, th I just thought that he was young and scared. I went home in horrible, horrible physical pain, but my heart hurt much worse. He never wanted to talk about how much it killed me because it didn't matter. We dodged a bullet, as his bitch-ass self thought. I ended up getting a job, and I loved this job. He hated my assistant manager, who was a 20-year-old Hispanic man who would hold the door open for me and share his lunch because I would usually be running late and didn't make one. I met one of my best friends at this job who ended up hearing this man yell at me outside my job telling me not to talk to any men because I was such a whore since I had so many friend, male friends from high school. I was told I couldn't talk to them or even have my own Facebook because he wanted to go through my messages. I was forced to quit this job and several others because he didn't like who I worked with and they would find out what was going on behind closed doors. Anything I did was wrong. I would be punched, kicked, and I was choked until I passed out. Every time he told me, I'm sorry, I love you, I didn't have money for weed, and you know my anger issues. I need, I need it not to hurt you. I just need to pause right there and say, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? If you need weed so that you don't punch and kick and choke your girlfriend... You probably need a little bit more than weed. Just saying. Just my two cents. What do I know? 
We got evicted from our apartment because he didn't want to give up weed even though we couldn't afford it. He had to move again and ended up further upstate. We were with his father when things got worse. His father would talk to me at night and ask me what was going on because he would be playing video games and talking to other random women. He would tell me that it had been over two years and my body doesn't do it for him anymore like he used to. He would say, I'm beautiful, but then tell me, I've seen your body too much, so I want to go to a strip club and see hotter women. All right, mister, go fuck yourself, okay? I'm sure your body was not perfect. I don't like you. It broke me inside. I ended up slapping him and ran outside in tears. And he said, oh, I just want to go to the strip club. Okay, so go, but don't tell me I'm not good enough for you. I was five feet tall and maybe 120 pounds, if that. I got my weight down to 100 because he told me I was fat and ugly. Which, Jesus Christ, 100 fucking pounds? I don't care how tall you are. That's not very much at all. This guy's just a raging fucking bitch that's never going to be happy. I stopped eating as much and would bike or walk to work for miles instead of hitching rides with coworkers. He got a kick out of his dad's house as he as his He got kicked out of his dad. Oh bitch, you're a fucking whore. I told you to pick your I told you I pick your friends. I hate your mom. Don't talk to her. Don't tell anyone what I do to you. You know I don't mean it. I love you. Oh, that hurts me to my very soul. This is this is ridiculous. Just because you can tell someone that you love them doesn't mean that you get to do whatever the fuck you want. I know I'm going through this right this very second. You don't get to you don't get to do what you want just because you say you love them. It just so you know, if anybody's doing that, like don't. No more. I was ready to leave. I toned down a lot of what happened because I don't want him to hear this and know, oh shit, that's her talking about it. He knows where me and my child and his father are. He punched me in the nose so hard that I'm positive he broke it, but I wasn't allowed to get medical attention because he would go to jail. This is a fucking mess because it was almost four years ago and some of the events are jumbled. We moved in with his cousin who to this day I still love to death. She is my best friend, and her kids love mine as well. It died down a little bit there, but I knew I didn't love him. I tried to leave many times, but he would cry and tell me, <laughs> "I'm." He cry and tell me I'm all his, he- all he has, because his family hates him. So I'd stay longer, even though I didn't love him. I had a secret Facebook that I was talking to old friends on and ended up connecting with this ex from the beginning of the story. I never forgot about him. I forgot to say earlier how he told me I was tainted because I fucked a Puerto Rican. My man now is a Puerto Rican, as is my son. He told my sister no self-respecting white man would want her because she lost her virginity to a black man. Only he used different words. Hey, I've also been told this because I also lost my virginity to a black man. So he would really hate me. He can go fuck himself because I don't like him either. He was a hor- he was horrible to her. I wish I would have left before four years. The weekend before my birthday, 
He left Messenger on my phone open. I turned on my Wi-Fi to my old phone that I used for YouTube, and a bunch of messages came up from some girl. One said, you don't, one said, don't you have a fiance? So I had to know what was said. He was asking this girl, oh, you look familiar. Are you my cousin? (laughs) She says, no. He says, oh, well, you're sexy. I'd like to be with you. (laughs) Is that like a pickup line now? Are you my cousin? (laughs) Oh, my God. She says, oh, don't you have a fiance? His response was, yeah, but I don't even want to be with her. It killed me. I confronted him. He said, oh, it's okay. I didn't cheat on you. Yes, but you tried to. He didn't care and brushed it off. I was talking to my now husband and telling him I hated him and I didn't want to be with him and I was afraid to leave. He will either cry or kill me like he's threatened me many times before. We were hanging out trying to help my friend pick out a truck at a dealership. I kept looking at my phone, scared to death that he would find out I wasn't home. I was only able to go to work and home. I couldn't even go to a bar or a club with his family members. My now husband saw the look of terror and said, Okay, we are going to the apartment. Pack what you can and leave. Can and let's leave this state. I packed a backpack with clothes and a few other items, a blanket and pillow, and told his cousin, who didn't know the extent of what was going on at the time. I should have told her she would have made him leave. She wouldn't have just believed him. I went to another state, and he called me so many times asking where I was. I didn't go to work. I finally tell him when we are there at a friend's house that I left him. I couldn't take it anymore. He said he'd get help. He loved me. Hmm. He's got a good job. Oh, he's got a good enough job to have his daily weed, so things should be better now. I stayed away. I still called him from time to time to ask him to give back my family photo album to his father or something so I could get it when I could. No. Me and my now husband never lost feelings for each other, and started a relationship, and I became pregnant. I was so scared to tell him because I thought that he wouldn't want a baby or me. He was happy, and I... He was happy, and he did want both of us. He has treated me with love and respect for years now. I know he loves me and my son to death. In a way, I'm happy for what I went through because I'm stronger because of it. I still get scared... Seeing him driving around occasionally, but I don't think he would fuck with my husband and he, as he's a man and he only hits women. Burn. From what I'm told, he hits his current girlfriend and tells her she's fat and ugly. I hope she gets out before I see her on the news because she's missing her worse. In the beginning of me and my husband's relationship, he sent a picture of me sucking his tiny ass dick like it would bother him. Yeah, it pissed him off that he would do that to me, but not because he was jealous. Just mad that he sent it. He sent me an email that was so horrible I wasn't even able to read it. My husband was playing a game on my phone and saw that it was from him and read it to make sure... Read it and made sure I didn't read it because of how fucked up and manipulative it was. He wanted me back but called me all types of names. Hmm, that also sounds familiar.
I'm sorry this is so jumbled. It's hard to keep every it's hard to type everything out. I just want to forget he ever existed. But I don't think I ever will. My husband and son saved my life. I'm so happy I didn't go back. He's now someone else's problem. Hopefully she finds out the terrible things he thinks of her and leaves. I may not like her because she has told me she thinks I'm a terrible person for finger quote cheating on him and breaking his heart. Oh, and that nothing like that, like what happened to me would happen to her because she's doing something with her life and she's nothing like me. Sweetie, you are like me. You fell for the same lies I did, and I hope you get out before it's too late. I'm so sorry that this is so long, but it's four years of shit I dealt with, and I am still dealing with. Oh, he has all my old passwords and messaged himself to start shit. I honestly think it's because she catches him doing something wrong, they fight, and then he says, Oh, look, my crazy ex. Honey, I want nothing to do with you. I have a wonderful family and I wouldn't ever want you around me or my child. I love you guys and I hope this will help someone else know that they are not alone. There's someone who will listen, someone who will believe you, someone who will actually love you and that you deserve that. Love, Mama Survivor. She's right. Every time that that man tells you that you are not good enough and that there is nobody out there that will love you, listen to me. You are who needs to love you. You always work on loving yourself first. Self-love is the most important. You can't give anything to anybody if you don't love yourself first. Normally, I would probably make a joke about that because I'm immature, but at this point, I'm not going to. I have recently gone through a lot of shit, a lot. I've had two marriages that were not grand. And when, when I hit a breaking point, I, I knew that I couldn't search for love from somebody else. It had to come from me. So I, I have actually been taking on like an AA lifestyle because as you know, my, my best friend Angel is still currently in treatment Um, her brother, who is my other best friend is in jail and, uh, him and I have been working a lot on self-love and how to value yourself. He calls every day from jail to tell me to make sure that I do my daily reflections where I say I'm Nikki and I'm amazing or whatever. Today I feel like emotionally, I feel this. Physically, I feel this. Um, My internal goals are, my external goals are, and I am grateful for whatever. So I do that every single morning. And sometimes it's hard for me to say, I am, what? What am I? I'll sit here and think about what are the things? What am I? Right now, I feel like I'm nothing. But I have to come up with something that I am and I have to believe it. And... As crazy as it sounds, as soon as I say it, then I do start to believe it. Like if I say I'm a good mom, well, that day I feel like I do better to live up to being that good mom. I also meditate every morning with a guided meditation because my brain is all over the place. But everything I do, I'm just trying to figure out how to love and respect myself. 
like everybody needs to. Anybody that's in this situation or anybody at all, you always turn to yourself for your love first because you are what is important. You take care of you. It's just like on the airplane when they say secure your mask before you help anybody else. That is the rule with life. You always make yourself your <laughs> make sure that you are secure before you can help anybody else. I can't be there for my kids and be there and be strong and show my kids how to be there and be strong if I'm not strong myself. I also can't teach my kids how to love and respect themselves if I don't love and respect myself because they're going to learn off of what I show them. I have a survivor story and I had it all typed out. Well, partially typed out. And then I chose not to tell it all. Um, I'm not ready. I, I've been through... My first marriage was really controlling. Um, I wasn't allowed to leave the house without asking. I wasn't allowed to dye my hair. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I wasn't allowed to wear regular clothes. I've talked about this a lot. Like, I, <laughs> in the mornings, I would turn on his shower, make sure that it was ready and the right temperature. I set his clothes out. I put his toothpaste on his toothbrush. I started his truck. I got his lunch ready. When he shook his glass at me, his um, cup that had ice in it, it means that he wanted a refill. And I ran and got him a refill. He, there was times that he threw um, the dinner that I made him in the trash and um, told me it was disgusting and had him make something, had me make something else. I mean, it was just a, it was just an emotionally abusive relationship. Like he didn't get crazy. Nothing was horrible. It was just like a constant, you're a piece of shit type situation, which really, really sucked. And, um, I didn't pull out of that and decide to love myself. I looked for somebody else to love me. And that way I didn't, I did, I did not do that right because I was just bouncing from dude to dude trying to find the right one that was going to love me. And then I got pregnant and much like Elle's story, he told me to get an abortion and he said that he didn't want a baby and all this other shit. And I, I did not agree to the, the abortion. And so he constantly told me what a piece of shit I was, broke up with me on Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, just a bunch of bullshit. And he currently still doesn't know Calvin. He met him a little bit when he was little. And that was that. I mean, he's gone through a lot since then. And him and I are friends now. And we can talk. But that was a shitty situation for all involved. Um, I'm recently going through a lot of stuff that I'm not quite ready to talk about. But the part where um, Elle's story said that he would do stuff and then say, but I didn't mean it, I love you. That's real shit. That's really, I mean, that happens. It's not okay. Just because they say that they love you, it's not okay. You stand your ground, and this is why I say you find yourself love first. 
Nothing is going to come out of anything until you love yourself first. Um, <laughs> um, while we're talking about all of that stuff with my story, my story was more of a mental abuse. And I got this article um, from healthyplace.com, which I found on the group um, from the fire, recovery from domestic abuse and surviving mental illness. Um, there's a lot of good things like this on that group. So I'm just going to read this, this article. Like I said, it's from healthyplace.com. First, let's define define verbal abuse signs as different from verbal abuse symptoms. Verbal abuse signs that your observation signs are your observations about the person who is verbally abusive towards you. The things the verbal abuser does and says that affect your thinking, beliefs, or emotions. Verbal abuse symptoms are your observations about you. Symptoms live inside you. So there, so others may or may not notice them. Second, if you are abused, you may find it difficult to observe your abuser and yourself. Observing implies stating the facts, which I'm sure you can do, but observing also implies interpreting those facts. And this is one of the most difficult parts for some abuse victims. You may second guess your observations because the abuser is consistently implied. The abuser consistently implants the idea in your mind that you cannot believe your own thoughts. <sighs> I'm sure that all of us have been there at some point. Disbelief of your own perception, a symptom of verbal abuse, sounds like you're thinking, oh, she didn't mean it that way. Her favorite form of humor is sarcasm, or he had another bad day. He told me that... He told me that, and I still pressed for conversation. So put aside excuse-making and self-blaming and trust your gut instinct as you answer these questions. Verbal abuse signs. Do they make derogatory comments about a group you belong to? Gender, career, religion, etc. Comment might end with, I mean them, not you. Do they make fun of or insult your ideas, behaviors, or beliefs? Do they make negative comments about people, places, or things that you love? Do they say things that are almost true about you but leave you wanting to defend yourself? Do they say, what? It was just a joke to dismiss the remark that offends you. Do they ask you questions about something you just happened about something that just happened and reply to your answers. Do you care to think about and answer the question again or just sit there staring in a way that lets you know your answer wasn't right? Do they engage you in long conversations about things on which you disagree on until you reach the point of wanting to say, okay, whatever, you're right, or insist that, that you repeat what they said and then later claim you agreed with me, then... Do they somehow manage to physically back you into a corner or somewhere where you cannot escape during intense conversations? Verbal abuse symptoms. Do you feel nervous when approaching them with certain topics? Do you feel insulted because of their use of foul language? I don't think that's any of us. Or does their use of foul language change the meaning of otherwise normal requests? 
such as, could you fucking tell me how much fucking longer it will be before you're ready for dinner? Do you feel a need to tell on yourself about innocent events in case the person hears about it later? Do you feel misunderstood for the most part in your relationship? Do you doubt your sanity, intelligence, or communication skills because of both difficulties relating to them? Because of difficulties relating to them? Do you doubt your memories when it comes to recalling conversations or events with the person because their take on it is so much different than your own? These questions relating to verbal abuse signs and verbal abuse symptoms describe how your verbal abuse sneaks inside the framework of your... how verbal abuse sneaks inside the framework of your relationship and poisons your thoughts with confusion and doubt. I know I've asked myself plenty of those questions plenty of times because I've been I've been to the point where I'm like, do I make this up? Is this really not as bad as it sounds? Um what am I doing? You know? I've done I've done a lot of that and then downplayed it and then let it go. But I mean, I'm not trying to cause an uproar for people who have, you know, like telling you, go back in your relationship and check and see what this is done and that. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to do that. But a lot of people downplay what happened to them because they think it wasn't more severe or that it wasn't severe enough or, you know, there's, there's so much that that people tend to downplay because they they think that it wasn't that bad. I think that that's where I'm going to leave it. I know that this episode is a little bit shorter than normal. Things are different until Angel gets back. Um, she's coming home soon, but you probably won't hear from her until the first of the year. We might put out a little snip here and there so you can hear her amazing voice. I finally got to talk to her the other day. I was excited. I've only got to talk to her twice in six fucking weeks, which is not okay with me, but it is okay because she's getting the help that she needs. Um, so we are going to take the two weeks off during Christmas break because I... <laughs> I need a break. I need a chance because I've been going through a lot of stuff uh, myself and doing the podcast by myself with all the technical difficulties (laughs) has added a little bit of stress, which was totally worth it because I fucking love you guys and I want to put out... I want to keep putting stuff out for you to listen to, and hopefully it's been entertaining. I've got two more episodes planned with guests, and then after that, we'll take the Christmas break. Angel and I are going to use the Christmas break to get uh, a lot stockpiled for January because it sounds like she's going to be getting some oral surgery and going to be out for a little bit because she had some teeth issues while she was in rehab and had to get a bunch of them pulled and... It's all just a big fucking mess. So, that being said, my next episode, I'm not sure who is the guest for sure because I don't know which is going to air first, but it's going to be funny. It's not going to be just me. It's going to be a lot more lighthearted, but I want everyone to get some goddamn self-worth. Make sure you love yourself. 
Do it for me. Okay. Do it for you. Fuck me. Do it for you. Um, with that, I'm going to say, don't forget how much you are worth and stay out of chalk lines. Goodbye.